Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I coach numerous athletes as well as myself. And, oh, geez, I run uh, Lift, Lift for Hope and USSF. I'm a Highland Games athlete, powerlifter, and all that. So, Mike T. Nelson, PhD, exercise physiology, master's in mechanical engineering, I teach for Globe University, do some work for Eat to Perform, uh, Director of Education for the Mindset Performance Institute, and uh, run my own business, Extreme Human Performance. This is Mary Catherine Powers. I'm currently a college strength coach and a former student of Lonnie Lowry, but um, I'm a distance runner turned uh, strength coach and lifter. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Converted. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Redeemed. Okay. Uh, we have a... We're just going to do a lot of news. There's some interesting stuff in the news. We've got some cool listener mail. Um, and then the topic we get to is just going to be gym talk. Uh, a lot of people just like our gym talk stuff. So let's start with some of this news. Strength and muscle sport news. Uh, I'm going to start with the Iron Radio specific bit here. Uh, a lot of our listeners have been hearing about Sean the intern. And MC knows Sean. He set up our Twitter account, so if in the future you are interested, uh, I can't guarantee we'll answer every time, but if you were to tweet us uh, on a Saturday morning between 9 and 10 a.m. Eastern time, that's Eastern, so that'd be really early if you're on the West Coast, but um, you can actually participate a little bit in our topics, whether it's gym talk, whatever, if we're bringing up something that's interesting to you, you could tweet us. It's um, at iron underscore radio. And that's pretty much it. So some live tweets, I think, could increase interactivity. It's just one of the fun things that Sean, the intern, can help us do. So Twitter is the first thing. Second thing is I got two bits of news from very different sources uh, this week about gene doping. It's back in the news. Um, The first one is a little drier, so I'll I'll share this first. This is from... uh, I get these little flyers just because I get on these mailing lists from conferences. You, you guys know what that's like. But Santa Cruz Biotechnology sent me this thing. Now they're, um, they're advertising for sale new CRISPR plasmids. If you're not familiar with CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, um, it's a gene editing technique, and it's so easy and efficient and relatively inexpensive that I think this is going to be the doorway into – you know, you start to see gene doping with athletes and whatnot, but bear with me. So this is the drier one, of course. It says, new CRISPR plasmids enable the identification and cleavage of specific genes, encoding a protein of interest, thereby eliminating production of that gene's product. And they have gene knockout versions that can disrupt the expression of human genes or mouse genes. And then they have gene activation uh, ones, CRISPR activation plasmids, specifically designed to activate the endogenous expression of specific human genes. So this is real, 
right? It's more in the hands of the researchers right now, of course, because gene editing is loaded with uh, ethical issues, of course. Um, in fact, they just did an episode on Science mm-hmm. Friday about it, um, this whole idea that CRISPR is going to change things. But So USA Today then, also uh, very recent, uh, a colleague sent me this, very similar topic, um, looking forward, this is from USA Today, it says, uh, report offers a glimpse into what the world of sports could look like in 25 years. Now, as I start to go through this, the hypocrisy is killing me. And uh, I think, <laughs> you know, you guys are going to really identify. But so it says future athletes, gene variations, uh, creating enhanced humans. It talks about possible future Super Bowl conference winner with enhanced humans, perhaps versus conference winner with natural humans. And I can't help but think, well, damn, they've been doing that in bodybuilding and powerlifting for decades. You know, the whole natural versus open competitions. But here's where the hypocrisy starts to get me. Athletes are allowed to use genetic enhancements for injury prevention and safety. As medical patients enjoy the benefits of these new treatments, the stigma begins to disappear. Aha. So, you know, the gen pop starts to like it. and Now it's okay. You know. Rules begin to allow athletes to use performance enhancers up to predetermined safe levels. Mm. Again, this is in USA Today. I mean, these are decades-old arguments. And it says the line between artificial and natural uh, begins to blur. You know, it goes on and on down this list. Enhanced athletes and natural athletes will compete in separate leagues. (laughs) Like, you know, this is looking forward, it's called. I suggest they look at the strength in muscle sports because I call this looking back. But, yeah. um, you know, and it talks about separate leagues and competition and all that. But So between that Santa Cruz biotech stuff where they're selling the CRISPR plasmids and whatnot and now looking at USA Today, um, this is going to be a real thing. And like I said, it's that whole – if you're not familiar with CRISPR, listeners, just go Google it. Um, it's generally – and I'm not an expert on this at all, but in fact, maybe Dr. Nelson knows more. But it's generally taking the idea of – um, a, a bacteria's immune system and using its uh, specific ability to identify and chop up uh, genes. You know, I think bacteria use it in, uh, in, to resist viruses, for example, and that kind of stuff. So we're taking little bits of a bacteria's immune system and we're cleverly using it to uh, identify and manipulate our own genes. But there's nothing that new about the general concept of taking bacteria, of course, and tweaking them to create what we want. Uh, we've been doing that with, you know, synthetic uh, hormones for a long time. So, yeah. yeah. And the little bit I understand it, and I'm not a specialist in that area at all, it's just it seems like the new technology allows you to be very hyper-specific and have it be super easy compared to what you had to do in the past. So, yep. like you were saying, Lonnie, that allows a lot more possibilities to be done that we haven't even probably even thought of yet. So Yeah, I look for the first wave of stuff and the next – I'm serious. Within the next five years, you're going to maybe see – I hope not, but horror stories in the news. You know, someone suppresses myostatin with one of these CRISPR plasmids or something, and then they, they become so muscular that, you know, their heart swells or they they become dysfunctional. You know what I mean? Some There's potential for some hideous side effects with this stuff. Um, yeah, and the, the rumor forever, who knows if it's true or not, is that certain countries like China have been trying to do this for years. So, again, a rumor, who knows? Right on. I've had discussions with people just kind of, I mean, sports are for entertainment. 
and I understand there's a health aspect to all of those things, and like we said, it could get really bad, but they say from an entertainment aspect, why not have a league of people that are competing, you know, natural, like powerlifting and stuff like that, where you compete raw or natural compared to people that are on some sort of enhancements. And if it's for entertainment, why not kind of allow that to a certain degree? And the problem is hard. it's hard to monitor that level of reasonable, you know, safety. Right. So, but I mean, right. now that it's becoming easier, like you said, Mike, it's becoming so much easier to do these kinds of gene enhancement things. Like why not, you know, sports are for entertainment. Why not allow that? It might have a much more exciting or interesting product to, to watch <clears throat> as a, a consumer, which is a different aspect on it. But. It is. I, I saw or read something years ago and that was the guy, it was a journalist. That was his exact argument right, is why not allow people, it's simply more interesting to watch people compete yeah, at a much higher level, <laughs> you know. And it's happening anyways. You're not yeah. going to stop yeah. it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. I just, I, I, again, with the hypocrisy of once the gen pop decides they want these enhancements, then they're ethical, you know. Yeah. But if you're going to use exactly. it in a disciplined way as part of a training program with some lofty goal of a national championship or the Olympic Games, then you're bad. But you're if, a cheater. Yeah, you're, yeah. Okay, to use it to entertain us, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Or, or if the Gen Pop wants to use it themselves to become buff or lean or get whatever it benefits, mm -hmm. now it's now it's totally okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's such hypocrisy. I think, but anyway, it's funny. It's it's called looking forward, but I think it's clearly there's been some trailblazing there. Because how long have you heard about you know bodybuilding, powerlifting? They're the only sports where the, there's drug leagues and natural leagues, and it's like. Well, they're open competitions. Nobody calls them drug competitions. But, you know, here this guy now now in USA Today, which is obviously a hugely circulating paper, they're talking about like, oh, you know, some of that stigma is going to be washed away. Well, I don't know. I'm used to hearing people demonize that idea. So. OK, uh, Dr. Nelson, I, you got a, a little blurb there about from the news on uh, somebody who stole your caffeinated toothpaste idea. Yeah, <laughs> I had an idea a while ago, and I'm sure obviously it wasn't the first person who had this, that uh, you should put caffeine in toothpaste, right? Because it could be absorbed through the mouth. Um, my other thought then was, what if you had like the dual, like you've got the one end that says AM and like big red letters, it's got caffeine, and then the PM side of the toothpaste that, you know, has melatonin or, you know, some relaxing herb or something in that, but... Um, unfortunately, I, I actually did look it up before in the past, and it looks like someone already has this idea. And I think one of the patents was actually sold at Colgate last time I looked. But um, a listener was nice enough to send in some information here, which was very nice. So thanks to Josh Gill for sending that in uh, from uncreate.com, power caffeinated toothpaste. So instead of waiting for your coffee to... To cool, you can get your first dose and fix of caffeine. Power caffeinated toothpaste gives you a little pick-me-up right out of bed. <laughs> oh, that was pretty interesting. And I, I like your idea, too. Why not a PM something? You gotta brush, you're got brush. you supposed to brush before you go to bed, too. Why not some right. melatonin, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, put some melatonin in your toothpaste. And the other idea I had recently, I don't know why I keep coming up with dentist ideas. I'm not a dentist, but <laughs> was I found it fascinating. Like, if you look back several years, like, Nobody put rollers on suitcases, and now you probably can't even buy one without little rollers on it. Yeah. Or, you know, how long it took them to put the racer on the end of the pencil and, all, like, existing technologies will exist but never 
kind of be put together. So I thought, well, if you have all this dental floss, it's coated with a bunch of stuff. Wouldn't you want to coat it with fluoride? Um, and it turns out that's already been done too. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just different kinds of delivery. Fancy ideas and you know, being a coconut farmer in Fiji or something. So. Mm. <laughs> MC, you had some tech news, and I know that it's something that uh, Dr. Nelson has dabbled with before. Um, yeah, so uh, my school that we're, uh, we're working with, um, just in the early stages of working with a company called Push, and they um, it's sort of a new weight room technology that you can use for velocity-based training. So basically, it's a little, um, basically like a little armband. Um, it's probably the size of like a small like older like cell phone like an old flip phone very slim and lean and you just um clip it on your forearm and you use it while you're lifting so squatting cleaning bench pressing you can also use it for some jump training but basically the big draw to our school or to i think a lot of schools or programs is that you can integrate it with an iphone an ipad um, or an ipod touch so basically it works like a tendo but it's much more portable tendo unit it measures peak velocity um peak power uh within each rep so um we actually had the reps at our school yesterday come in and kind of do a demo and show us how it worked and uh, me and the other coaches are really kind of wowed by how easy and convenient it is so basically um it connects to an ipod or an ipod touch you can just click to the rack and the athlete's able to see in set feedback so they do one rep and it'll show you velocity or power and it'll be red or green so as a coach um there's a programming aspect to it where before the athletes come in the room you can set up the workout and you can say i want my power range to be between 0.8 and 1.0 today or velocity or however you want to set it so um they'll see on the screen, if it's green, they're in the range. If it's red, it's not, and you got to do that rep again. Oh, okay. It also gives you audio feedback, so it'll give you, like, a little horn, like, eh, if you didn't do it at the right speed. Um, and it's pretty cool. It's, um, as, a, as a strength coach, I'm always looking for ways to motivate our athletes, especially mm-hmm. with certain sports who don't really see a lot of value in the weight room, um, and it's hard to, it's already something they don't want to do, so it's hard to make them want to, work really hard at it but um there's also a cool competition aspect to it so you can link it to a tv in our weight room we have tvs that we link to our computer and i can put a powerpoint slide in the workouts up there but you can link it's called um like it's called push compete and you can have all the athletes uh pictures up on the tv and they're working as they're working it's updating live on each rep that they hit and who has the highest and who's hitting their ranges and who's not. And that's a great way, I think. That's really what drew us as coaches to it is to motivate them. So it's a pretty cool system. There's a huge programming aspect to it kind of behind the scenes that you do before they come in. So you can say we're doing sets of – we're doing two reps at 85%. You got this load, and it changes and shows you loads for each athlete. So all they have to do is walk up when they're ready to go, pop the band on their forearm, hit their name, their picture and it pops right up what they should have on the bar how many reps they're doing in their range so obviously with technology now iphones ipads every athlete that i have almost can pick up an iphone and use it really easily so to me that's kind of the draw is it's easy to use for the athlete it's easy for the coaches as well um 
we have also messed around a little bit with um, some heart rate bands and stuff that we used for recovery tracking. So we do like a five-minute recovery test, measure their heart rate, kind of get a percent of their recovery score um, based on the last time they were in or based on, you know, data we've gathered over the last six months or a year. But one thing they use it for in a lot of NFL and NBA teams is they use it to test recovery. So when you come in the weight room or you get onto the field for the first time that day, the court, um, they just have you do three quick jumps, and it can also measure vertical jump. And based on your jumps, they, they check your recovery. So if everybody's down or one person's uh, down and everyone else is up, you can kind of look at, all right, what's going on with that one player or that athlete. So it's pretty cool. But, again, for me, it was the motivation part of it that really um, kind of drew me to it because a lot of athletes, they're very competitive. That's part of why they are athletes. So. They're very competitive, and they want to they want to they want to beat their teammates, and they don't want to be last. So things like that, it could make it a really competitive environment in the weight room. So. What do you think, MC? I know you've got experience with um, Tendo and the ballistic measurement system. I mean, mm-hmm. you you've used all kinds of different tech like this uh, in research. Mm-hmm. But is this? And we, we can chime. You know, get Dr. Nelson to chime in too. Is this valid? Are you convinced that it's um, working? I am actually. I they actually have a study published in um, Journal of Strength Conditioning Research, and they compared it to. It was a validity study, comparing it to. Um, they compared it to linear transducer, so a Tendo or a BMS. I'm assuming they use. So mm-hmm. they compared it and they saw really great results. They said it was just as valid. They said it was significantly like similar. So they they prove that it is pretty valuable um it's used i was very impressed at how much it's used it's only a three-year-old company but nfl mlb nhl um they're all the nba it's really big with basketball teams um but they're all i mean it's very widely used and they're getting more and more into the college environment um and i it's pretty well pretty well researched i guess and i was impressed that was Hmm. my thing too i was like well how valid is it but as I read more about it, it's published in a validity study, and I, I was sold. Well, you know, we've so. got an engineer here, so <laughs> what do you think, Dr. Nelson? <laughs> engineers. Um, yeah, I mean, that's very cool. I mean, I talked to him years ago. I had one of the original beta testers, went and visited him in Toronto, that kind of stuff. And their biggest problem and what I was impressed with them initially was that they spent a lot of money on uh, software development and validation from the start. Um, where I know some other companies, the thought was, well, it should be close. Um, yeah. And they did a lot of testing on force blades, like actual research-grade force blades and that kind of stuff too, which um, was very nice <clears throat> because you're looking at an arm movement and trying to correlate it to other movements. So Bar speed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think they've got a couple other studies they said may come out and publish research, which is very cool to see. Um, there's a couple other competing companies now that are similar, but as far as I can tell, they're a couple of years behind at best. I haven't seen any, uh, research from them either. I've had one since it's, uh, the beta version and the final version. Um, I just used it the other day. Um, I think the software that they've been updating as they've gone along has made a huge difference. And like you were saying, I like that from an athletic standpoint, you can now have athletes compete on quality, not just quantity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. which I think is really huge, right? So a lot of times if you have athletes just compete on, you know, one rep max, it's, oh, my yeah. God, that's a debacle, right? <laughs> it looks like yeah. a mess. But now if yeah. you have them at least 
competing on something that is more of a quality of performance. And again, they can still pose that up too, but it's, I think you're moving in the, the better direction. So that's the one thing yeah. I like about it. Yeah, I completely agree. A lot of it is, I mean, and how often as a strength coach do I test one RM? I mean, I don't, right. I only test that maybe some sports twice a year, some sports if I'm lucky three or four times a year, but it's how well are you, how fast or how well are you moving the weight? So, um, and especially in season, um, it's really great. I know our, uh, our strength coach that works with baseball uses the tendo units a lot in season. So being fast and explosive with a given load as opposed to just moving the weight. Mm-hmm. So when you want to be explosive and fast in your season, when you want to be at peak levels of power and things like that for your season, it's not just about moving weight. It's about how fast and how well are you moving it. So, um, seems like pretty uh like you said they're pretty well backed and pretty well developed but i was impressed with the reps or the representatives from the company that came in yesterday they were very knowledgeable they had a lot of like you said they had said there's a lot of testing with force plates they it was interesting because they were able to talk in kind of strength coach lingo as well as kind of sciencey research lingo so they were very knowledgeable in my opinion so it's pretty cool technology um i'm not sure um We'll go through with that. Of course, there's always an added expense with something like this, but can be very beneficial, I think, for training and athletes. You know, I think one possible caveat to that would be, oh, I don't know, they're going to have to really follow the KISS principle, you know, because so often yeah. when you try to take something from the research side and use it in practical ways with a coach who yeah. might not be super educated on what he's trying to do or certainly the mm-hmm. athletes, you know what I mean? It's almost like, Phil, I know yeah. when, when you've got groups in your gym, you've got different kinds of people doing different things, and you're sort of the conductor, you know. You go descend on one group or another, but if you're – I wouldn't want uh, people misinterpreting data. Uh, It it might not be as true with this stuff, but like you mentioned, heart rate data, there's lots of reasons someone could come in and have a higher heart rate or not. It could be poor recovery. They could be undertrained. It could be almost the opposite, you know, so you almost need to have uh, – some type of exercise professional who you know who's got some level of education to be able to interpret this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I see a huge problem with. We have a heart rate system that gives you just an ungodly amount of data. Yeah. It gives you like epoch, mm-hmm. heart rate variability, recovery, all these things that even to me as an educated person in exercise science and a strength coach, like some of it is a lot. It's just mm-hmm so much information and then we have at our school sport coaches running these systems so that to me is just concerning on how they're interpreting it and how they're using it and like you said there's a million reasons right even with the jump test so you come in you do three jumps even with that you have to have if the athlete's down i mean you have to have them they have to be giving 100% if they come in they don't take it very seriously they could be mm-hmm. down but perfectly recovered so there's an aspect of mm-hmm. error Culture. yes athlete motivation with all those tests when we do the heart rate variability test and they're sitting still maybe their heart rate will come down and they'll be more recovered but if they're moving around and they don't want to so there's just a there's an aspect of athlete kind of motivation with all of it so yeah yeah what are your thoughts Phil no i mean i, I mean the technology sounds great i mean cuz as we all know like you said, I mean, one RM only goes so far, especially when we're talking multi-sport athletes. It doesn't matter if Johnny can squat 500 <laughs> if he can't move 315 quickly. You know, most all sports yeah. are about power production and speed. You know, so it doesn't. We've all seen the uh, the guy who's the strongest on the football team, but he's a bench warmer. 
Yeah. <laughs> because you can't play mm-hmm. the actual sport. You know, More often than not. <clears throat> yes. So, um, no, and like you said, I, I love the motivation aspect of, of machines like those. It gives you a day-to-day. Like, it's hard to get my athletes motivated about 75%. But if they have some <laughs> some exact some feedback in their face right there telling you, okay, it's seventy five percent, but you're not moving it fast enough. Now they're going to try harder because yeah. speed is so relative in your brain. Like I am moving it fast. No, you're not. I've seen you move much quicker. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, and things like that. And this gives them the automatic feedback right there in their face. Okay, maybe I am slacking off a little bit. So I need to pick my game up, get my head out of my butt. Yeah. Um, and it removes the <laughs> feedback from the coach. Yeah. So it's it's a data which you, they can't really argue with. Yes. You know, because they yeah, can be like, you're huge. just not looking at it right. You had a bad day. Like, yeah. No, I've done this for years. I know what I'm looking at in your case, Phil. Yeah. But you could just point and go, nope, that's what it says. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see it in place on you know, how it works with Olympic weightlifting and things like that. Um, that's one place where like Tendo falls short yep. because it's tethered, you know, and that bar's moving all over the place. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, the wireless technology is, is, could take a large step forward in those sports. So, Hey, if we didn't cover this uh, MC, what's the, what's the cost per unit or how do they cost it or, you know? So, um, they sell the bands and they sell iPod touches together and you can buy any combination of, the bands only or the iPod touches, but I think they sell them in sets of, I believe it was six, and they sell six bands and six iPod touches. Um, I think it comes to about six grand, and then Oof. there's a license. Yes, there's a licensing fee each year. Um, I think which is around three grand for their software licensing mm. fee each year to continue to use it. So, oh, so this is out of the, this is out of the reach of most gym goers or like guys at Phil's well, like gym, I for said, example. He's not going to go drop like, six grand on this, I don't think. Well, like I said, I believe you can buy them individually. I'm not really yeah, sure can. how they're priced individually, but that was kind of the offer they presented to us. Um, <laughs> as a school, that's how they usually buy them in sets of six or 12. Mm. Um, but And that's really similar to our heart rate systems that we bought um, and at a school, at a mid-major, not a high-level school that I'm at. It's Sometimes it's up to the team to buy them, so mm-hmm. our strength conditioning budget is not buying that. Our teams, <laughs> our teams, the ones that buy it. So our basketball team bought it. Our field hockey team bought it themselves. So, like I said, there is an added cost, obviously. But um, like I said, we've talked about the benefits. But it's about, I mean, NFL, NBA, those kind of teams. That's nothing. Yeah. So it's very easy for those teams to use it. And like they said, they're just now breaking into college in the NCAA. So. Yeah, if you get just the band off their website right now, it's two eighty nine for a single band. That's not that bad. Oh, so it's yeah. not too bad. And you can um, – I don't make any money from the company, but no, I think I don't they do make good this work. No, I want to make an ad, right? <laughs> right. But yeah. you can run it without a lot of the back-end software if you're just a single mm-hmm. user. Um, so I've got one guy in Canada I gave one, and I don't have any of the back-end fancy software. But all I really need is the basic numbers. So I just have them do a screenshot, and it'll tell you all the basic info. You won't be able to design a custom program or, or do some yeah. other cool stuff, but you could get a band and just use the data from it and, and get pretty far if you wanted to go the cheaper route. Yeah, yeah just within the app, you can use it without Correct, the actual yeah. software. Then you don't need the licensing fee and things like that. So <laughs> it is a little bit expensive, but not undoable for the job. Nintendo is what? Seventeen hundred, I yeah, think. Yeah, Nintendo's are expensive. Yep, yeah. they are. Okay, no, cool. I th- I think it's inevitable, right? That this kind of self monitoring, we've been saying it for ages, but this whole quantify yourself idea, 
objective info is good as long as you have somebody who understands. It's probably like mm-hmm. not unlike in medicine. You know, you have to have a doctor reading that EKG instead of some yeah. somebody completely uneducated. To them, it's just a little scribble of ink on a piece of paper. You know, and <laughs> yeah. a cardiologist yeah. could tell you electrical malfunctions. You know, when you had a heart attack, where you had a heart attack on your heart. You know, uh, if you have ST segment depression. Yeah. I mean, there's a hundred whole books on how to interpret this, and it, it's not unlike that. So, I, unfortunately, I think the way fitness works. You know, God, watch people on YouTube start just abusing. I mean, I've listened to a few podcasts. I had to stop. I mean, the hosts and the people that were talking, I'm like, oh, my God, uh, off, off. That's not how that works. And they're teaching people that, you know, there's something wrong. I don't know. But more information ultimately should be good, you know, with the technology, I guess. Yeah, in the hands of the right people, right? Okay, one more bit before we go to break. I, this is sort of a longer segment, but we had a lot of news and mail. Um, and I, I know Phil's got a mail, too. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, both? Yeah, we have some mail. Uh, I wanted to touch on this really quickly. Every once in a while, I'll have my interest peaked by Mercola.com. Uh, he's a very outside-of-the-box kind of physician. And some of what I see at that website, I'm, I just ignore, frankly. But... Um, Put your head through a wall. <laughs> but, you know, he, there's no question that he's bright and he understands medicine. Um, and this article was about – it's called Tendon Pain Linked to Type 2 Diabetes. And I tweeted about this because hmm. this makes a lot of sense. I've read for years that if you have high blood sugars all the time, you've got to get those down. Nothing is bad for wound healing like high blood sugars. You know, you don't want that. But anyway – it says tendinopathy refers to pain in and around your tendons. And, of course, we could be talking about tendinosis, sort of a scrambling, you know, of that nice arrangement of fibers in your tendons. And how it's actually quite different from tendinitis, which is just an inflammation. Now, of course, tendinitis could progress into tendinosis, and I suspect that happens to a lot of older lifters. But um, he says a recent systematic review and meta-analysis published in the British Journal of Sports Med shed light on this association providing, quote, strong evidence that diabetes is associated with a higher risk of tendinopathy. And he Mm. goes on to say that, for example, uh, from the article, the study revealed people with type 2 diabetes are more than three times likely to have tendon pain than those without. Uh, He goes on and says some things that are a little more obvious to some of us, like exercise is crucial, uh, HIIT you know, maybe especially important. In fact, he references something here, but I got to be careful because he'll reference lay, to me, lay in commercial websites. But uh, one of the comments in in the Mercola piece says just six high-intensity interval training sessions done over the course of two weeks could improve glucose regulation. I believe that. Uh, I did not go pull that reference. I pulled the main (laughs) reference, though. And he talks about the difference between tendinopathy and tendinitis, right? So if you have tendinosis... Uh, something like ibuprofen may actually interfere with some of that ta- soft tissue remodeling. Whereas in tendonitis, you know, Phil and I are both sort of junkies with ibuprofen because, God, it really, really helps with the inflammation and the pain. Mm-hmm. So it, it is sort of different. If you're just dealing with tendonitis, yeah, anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, awesome. But mm-hmm. for the actual, you know, repair of damaged tendons once that you get tendinosis, it could actually interfere on some level. But let me pull this really quickly. This is the actual article. British Journal of Sports Med, um, Tom Ranger and colleagues. Is there an association between tendinopathy and diabetes mellitus? A systematic review with meta-analysis. The abstract, just real quick, and I'll jump to the conclusions. 
musculoskeletal symptoms limit the adherence to exercise interventions in individuals with type 2 diabetes. People with diabetes may be susceptible to tendinopathy due to chronically elevated blood glucose levels. And then findings, 31 studies were included in the final analysis. Tendinopathy was more prevalent in people with diabetes, uh, and diabetes was more prevalent in people with tendon problems, tendinopathies. They also linked it to a longer duration of diabetes, you know, essentially more tendinopathy with people that have had diabetes and carbohydrate um, metabolism problems longer. And then interpretation, these findings provide strong evidence, again, like Mercola pointed out, that diabetes is associated with higher risk of tendinopathy. So obviously I start wondering, do you have to have full-on type 2 diabetes or can you simply be insulin resistant? Because one out of four Americans you know, have pre-diabetes, you know, we're not good carbohydrate handlers. I think I'm probably one of them. Once you're in your middle-aged years, that naturally starts to happen a bit. You have to kind of fight against that with exercise. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and there's such a push with among, amongst um, lifters, I think, for low-carb diets. Um, I don't know. It makes me wonder, right, that maybe <laughs> we like low-carb diets for a reason. Maybe they are helping with uh, tendon problems and whatnot. So. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'll tell you what. We have gone for quite a bit here. Let's go to break. We come back. We'll hit a, a little bit of listener mail, and then we'll do the gym talk, okay? Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry and what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. 
So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back and uh, got some listener mail I was going to hit up first. And this is from Ben. Um, he sent us a, a message back on February 7th. Um, says, hey, guys, I love the podcast. I've been, emailed you several times, and you've been kind of enough to answer my questions during the show. An episode or two ago, you were talking a little about competition. You guys mentioned several things, including that entering a competition would focus you, just signing your name as a PR, etc. <clears throat> I thought I'd, I'd write to tell you guys were a huge part of me doing that last spring. Last spring, I entered my first BJJ competition here in New York City. I then, three months later, entered a second one. Life happened, and I didn't compete through the winter, but in April, I'll be competing again. By the way, when I entered the first one, I was 35 years old. Now I'm 36. I love my experience. One of my biggest takeaways was the laser focus of my training that took after I signed my name. I made a flow chart on paper and drilled all my moves again and again. Every training session became an opportunity to attempt to execute my game plan. I approached more experienced guys that I <clears throat> wouldn't have had a reason to approach before for advice. We compete in weight class, and I cut six to eight pounds each time. That part wasn't too pleasant, but even that wasn't too bad. And, hey, just another interesting experience. I've listened to you guys for just over five years. Mm. Hearing you guys mention competitions here and there through years has been a big part of my decision to enter, especially not being that young. Um, though I don't feel, though don't worry, I don't feel too old, and indeed I'm the leanest and strongest I've ever been in my whole life. You guys and your show had a direct, no bullshit impact on my life. I would say it was an improvement. I thank you for that. Your show matters. Uh, you have a positive impact on people. Be well, Ben Wiley. And well, nice. says Phil, how's the boxing training going? Oh, it's going. It, it sucks, <laughs> but it's going. Um, it's it's taking a little bit of a backseat just because life happened, but I'm still doing it. Um, it's still going to happen. So, I mean, basically, if I slack off, I get my butt kicked. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, um, literally. But no, I mean, cardiovascularly, I'm probably in the best shape I have been in a decade. And uh, it's just getting in there. My problem now is I've chased off, uh, I, I've went through three sparring partners, so I need to find another one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, the three I've had just refuse to do it anymore. Um, so, uh, I, yeah. So I got to find somebody else that doesn't mind being hit. Is there a boxing gym anywhere um, you can hit up? Uh, nothing close. Um, I'm trying to deal with some some other guys in Miss Martial Arts and stuff like that, but it's hard to find somebody that's 270 in Miss Mixed Martial Arts, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which isn't bad. I mean, I had one of my best sparring partners was actually about 70 pounds lighter than me, and all we did was all I was allowed to do was straights. So straight, you know, jabs and straight rights, and he was able to do anything he wanted, which was good because it had somebody smaller and faster than me, and yeah. you know, generally somebody two hundred pounds is going to be in better cardiovascular condition than somebody two sixty, two seventy. Right. Yeah. So it it was good moving with somebody who was fast. Um, <clears throat> the only problem I found with it was 
uh, were boxing and he hit me once and I was like, oh, that didn't hurt. So <laughs> I got lazy and just started dropping my hands and, uh, you know, I'd let him swing and then I'd just nail him um, as he opened up. Yeah, that's probably not a great strategy. And that's not a good habit <laughs> no. to get into because if I do that with somebody that's 270, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, so I just had to keep that in mind, you know, okay, block the punch, even though you're not, not going to do much to you because I can't, I can't use that technique against somebody that's as big and strong as myself Right on. because I'll just be knocked out. So, um, yeah, it's coming. You know, I'm, I'm still getting ready. So, all right, cool. See how it goes. Nice. And that was a great email too. I, yeah, it was. it's, it's always yeah, great to hear. Time. Yeah. Somebody just to be honorable and say you, what you do matters, you know, yeah. it's cool. Okay. Uh, Dr. Nelson, I know you had a bit of mail. Two, right? Yeah. I've got one here from James who said, hey, I'm not sure if you've covered this topic. Uh, benefits of sauna post-workout. I've recently started a new gym that has a sauna. I'm curious if there's any real benefits backed by studies. And more importantly, walk me through how I can find this research myself. I, of course, Googled it and got tons of magazine articles, none of which linked any real studies or trials. So I was unimpressed and disappointed. I want more than the bro science. So, um, yeah, so that's a very interesting topic. So a couple of reference points for that. Um, one of them about sauna in general, which I think is probably one of the better articles I've read. It's from my friend, Dr. Rhonda Patrick. I was actually published on Tim Ferriss' blog quite a while ago. Um, she's spoken at Paleo Effects and Ben and Joe Rogan's podcasts and stuff, too. Uh, she's a PhD researcher out in California at Berkeley. Uh, I've talked to her a fair amount in the past, and um, very good, very well spoken in terms of uh, being very science based. Um, if you go to her website, which is just Found My Fitness, on the upper right hand side, there's a free download, and you can actually get a whole download that's got uh, one on a sauna benefits report, and it's actually really well done. In terms of studies I could find specifically looking at post-training, I couldn't find too many, to be honest. Um, the best luck I had is if you just go to uh, PubMed, and I just typed in sauna and exercise. And then if you want to get fancy, you can filter on the left side by just clicking human studies. So that way you don't get any sort of rats or real guinea pigs they stuffed in saunas and measured and that kind of stuff. Rat which sauna. <laughs> yeah. It, it's okay to start, but, you know, we're looking at more human effects here. Um, the most direct one I could find was, uh, let's see, 2014, the effect of a single finished sauna bath after aerobic exercise on the oxidative status in healthy men. So a lot of the studies you'll find are, you know, go figure finish studies. So if you've ever spent time in Finland, uh, when I was there, literally almost every place I went, every house has their own sauna. Yeah, It's yeah. part of their culture. You take the daily sauna, actually naked, pretty much in every place too. Um, so very big with their culture there. But uh, briefly what they did, they took 43 men aged around 24. They had them do 30-minute aerobic session on a cycle ergometer, so on a bike. Then they had them rest for 39 minutes either at room temperature or in a sauna. And what they looked at was, unfortunately, they didn't look at any performance measures. They looked at oxidative status. So, yeah, you can kind of infer, you know, not directly to performance, but it was the best marker we could find for studies. 
Uh, they concluded that a single Finnish sauna bath as a source of free radicals per se is able to reduce oxidative stress that was induced by 30-minute aerobic exercise in men. Hmm. You can kind of look at this in two ways. Um, overall, reducing oxidative stress is probably a good thing in terms of health. Um, do you really want to do that directly post-training? I'm not really sure, right? Because part of the oxidative stress from training is part of the thing that gives you the positive adaptation from training. So I think there's debate either way on terms of doing sauna uh, post-exercise. If I had a choice, um, I would probably do it more on an off day for like a recovery regeneration type thing. Um, there's one other quick study looking at the effects of sauna-based heat acclimation on plasma volume and heart rate variability. And what they did is they just looked at that, and briefly what they found was uh, sauna bathing uh, was it? Oh, sauna bathing following normal training largely expanded plasma volume, which is a positive adaptation in general, mm-hmm. and actually well-trained cyclists after just four exposures. So utility of heart rate and HRV for tracking plasma volume is uncertain. Basically, they say they need more future studies. So if you're more of an aerobic athlete, or you know, I think this would help strengthen power also, there may be some data to show that sauna may actually help expanding plasma volume, which would be a positive adaptation. So, so pretty much a mixed bag. I haven't found anything that's directly looking at it in terms of performance, in terms of sauna post-exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of good data that if you're injured, uh, sauna may reduce how much atrophy you have and decrease the loss of strength. Um, so, yeah, still kind of a mixed bag. And Mike, I'd say play around then, with it, track your performance. A- blood flow mechanism then i mean for the healing part uh you know the the prevention of atrophy yeah i think part of it is uh blood flow uh there's some data that sauna itself and heat can directly activate heat shock proteins so it's probably a lot through that pathway too maybe it you know calms down some of the more catabolic pathways too i'm not 100 percent sure to be honest Mm mm-hmm no, cool. Yeah, I think it's actually wise, you know, uh, to point out there's there's not an enormous amount of literature on some of these things. Uh, you know? Not for training adaptations. There's lots of good stuff with health, um, atrophy reduction, things of that nature. But in terms of does it directly enhance performance? In terms of looking at performance markers, not sort of surrogate markers. I haven't been able to find a whole lot. Maybe someone else can find some stuff, but it's. Yeah, I I played around with it myself, and one thing I've noticed is that I I don't feel that bad doing the sauna, but if I measure HRV and look at performance the next day, it seems to be more of a different stressor than my body was used to, so I had to go much more conservative than I thought. So I first, you know, went in and said, oh, I'll just do 30 minutes, and eh, I didn't feel too bad, and the next day it was my HRV was down quite a bit, and it eh, didn't feel quite so good. So I cut back to like 10 minutes and just kept adding a little bit of time once or twice a week and it seemed to be. All right. Well, let's get uh, on to a little bit of gym talk. We're really running low on time here, but um, anything interesting happen in the gym with your own training? Mike, I know you're like closet, you know, uh, grip strength guy. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been doing that lately or what's going on with you with the, with the lifting? Yeah. So I just kind of reevaluated my goals for this year so it's um doing more work with the axle clean and press 
Um, later this year, I'll start doing more Atlas Stone stuff again. But mm. damn, those stones get so freaking cold <laughs> in the winter <laughs> in the garage. Oh, sure. I actually, when I do them, I have to bring them in 24 hours ahead of time and kind of set them in the kitchen area so they warm up. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, and then my main goal is uh, Denny Stone Lift, which is kind of this weird off-axis uh, deadlift with basically these different size rings. Um, and I also decided as a couple of weeks ago, I want to list the Thomas Inch Dumbbell. Uh, so for people who aren't aware of that, it used to be considered back in the day the unliftable dumbbell. It's a huge solid cast piece of metal. Uh, it's only 172 pounds, which weight-wise really isn't you know that bad for a single hand lift. Um, but the diameter of the handle is about the size of a pop can, so about two and a half inches. And it's a solid cast, so it doesn't rotate. So you have to not only hold it at the bigger diameter, then you have to have enough strength to actually stop it from trying to rotate, or it'll just Ooh. basically spin out of your hand. Yeah. Um, it's the weirdest thing to see. Like if you've ever gone to the Arnold or other events, a lot of times they have one there, and it's amazing to see like these huge, just you know, sides of beef with eyes, you know, come up to <laughs> it, and just can't yeah. budget off of the floor because of the grip component. Um, so I just ordered a small version of that. It's just a 100-pound cast one. should be here in a couple of weeks, so I don't even know if I can pick that one up yet. But um, So it'll be a couple of years, but good practice. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. Yeah. How about you, MC? Anything going on with your training specifically? Um, This week for me was a deload week. I'm actually running uh, – 531 uh Ren- Wendler's oh, nice. 531 program. I'm just looking for general strength. Um but like I said, distance runner turned lifter, so I got some work to do. But um yeah, this was my deload week and uh I ran the first so there're four week cycles. Um and I ran the first four weeks. I'm going to go for another four weeks on that same cycle. You just kind of bump your training max a little bit as you go. Um so felt Felt pretty wrecked for the last uh, three weeks before this week. I was mm. struggling, but um, going four days a week, so it's not too bad. But it's a lot of training to failure, so I'm going to get soreness and a lot of volume. So five by 10 to 20 on my supplemental stuff. So it's it's uh, it's tough, but I actually really like it. It's efficient for me, so I don't have a huge block of time to get my lift in. Sometimes I got 45 minutes or an hour oh, yeah. to get my lift on in the middle of my day. Um, cause there's no way I'm doing it at the end of the day. So, um, I, I've, I've liked it. Me and the interns at work are running it. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting. It takes some patience. You know, I gotta, they ask you to bump your maxes down to 90%, which is not always a uh, confidence building, but, um, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. And, uh, like Lonnie mentioned, I've been doing some carb cycling a little bit, um, just three, two, one. So on Monday I eat carbs. At three meals on Tuesdays, I eat carbs at breakfast and lunch. And on Wednesday, which is my non-training day, I eat carbs at breakfast. So I, um, I lift Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So um, Wednesdays I feel pretty wrecked, <laughs> but um, I've been. It forces me to eat a bigger breakfast, which I need to be doing anyway, so that I don't come home from work at seven at night and slam a whole bag of wheat thins for no reason. So. <laughs> Because that's just right. unnecessary at 7 o'clock at night. But it's just the first thing I can find when I come in the door. So um, it's just made me more conscious of not eating a lot of carbs right before I go to bed or late at night. So 
I like it. And for me, it's not so drastic. It's not like, it's not like I can never eat carbs. If I know that I'm, I can get through, you know, two days, I'll have carbs on three meals on the third day. So it's really not bad. I actually like it. It keeps me, keeps me honest, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And on your low day, how many carbs are you at? Like on that Wednesday you said was the one meal? I was just curious in terms of a number. Um, I should know that. But I have I have a bowl of oatmeal and like a half a bagel for oh, breakfast okay. and some and I'll have eggs. So I'll have a, a half a bagel, oatmeal and some fruit and eggs for breakfast. So not a ton, but it's pretty low. And I'm not completely no carb. I'm low yeah. carb. So lunch and dinner I'll have like vegetables. Or sometimes I'll have like hummus or avocado, which some carbs, but not not a lot. I'm just trying to eat, not eat like potatoes and crackers and rice and stuff for lunch and dinner on that day. So it's I thought I'd be more like exhausted. I thought that because for me, when I don't eat carbs, obviously for many reasons, I'm tired. I get really tired, so that's why I kind of planned it on that Wednesday. It worked out, so I've been not as fatigued as I thought it would be. So pretty good. Nice. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. It's the first time I've tried to really stick to any sort of, I mean, obviously I eat healthy and I try to, you know, be conscious about it, but it's the first time I've ever tried to really stick to like a actual eating plan. So it's interesting. Structure always helps, I find too. It's Yeah. I feel like I've strayed too far off course. That's the first thing I do is, all right, I need to have a little bit more structure of some form. Yeah. It just makes you more conscious of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing actually something sort of similar, sort of. On Thursdays, it's just uh, the right day of the week for me to do it, but I just do the whole sort of, um, you can call it pulse fasting, whatever you want. I just load up a big container of uh, whey casein blend with a little bit of leucine, and I just sip like 200 cc's of stuff every 90 minutes or so. Hmm. And I, with the whole intention of it's something I've written about before, and Mike, I know you're more read on the internet intermittent fasting than I am, mm-hmm. but just to get out of the insulin burden, I think that I I'm always under. You know, I'm constantly eating every two hours, and once a week, uh, you know, it's just an attempt to maybe correct a little bit of my insulin sensitivity, especially being middle aged and everything. You know, I can't. There's no way I could eat like I did when I was in my 20s. You know, I would knock back a pound of pasta, not think twice, you know, and <laughs> I can't. There is no way. So on Thursdays, yeah, I just, you know, because it comes out to something like um, 12 or 15 grams of protein, maybe uh, one or two grams of additional leucine in there, you know, enough to hopefully not completely suppress fat oxidation, you know, fat burning, but yeah. uh, trickle yeah. in some amino acids to muscle so I don't just otherwise just starve. Uh, yeah, and I do it once a week. It's pretty doable, you know, and the the training stuff, yeah, I'm only training about three days a week now, three to four, and I, I just do upper, lower split, and if you would have told me I was, I'd was i be doing that a couple of years ago, I would have been like, no way, that's like beginner, what the hell, but <laughs> for for efficiency, you know, especially because when I get sore now, I get rocked, I do not recover really really fast like like i once did i just don't so you know my joints hurt my tendons are aching stuff like that my muscles just doms just delayed onset muscle soreness (laughs) doesn't go away as fast and so the upper body lower body it still lets me get some prime movements in for upper and lower right um but i'm by alternating back and forth i buy myself that extra day 
uh, as opposed to doing whole body workouts every time or, and, you know, and the old bodybuilding splits that I still love, um, I just wouldn't have enough frequency doing that. You know, yeah. if, if you do like a, like one of my favorites was, it was sort of a push pull legs, but, uh, on back day, I would actually do shoulder work. And I know that's weird, but I was talking with John Mike last episode about that. When I do freestanding overhead presses, my upper back would get really sore. So I'm like, I'm putting yeah. that on back day. Uh, but yeah. And so there wouldn't be enough frequency. I'd literally get back to chest like a week later. So I'm like, I need to somehow do this differently. And in a sense, though, it'll toughen you up because if you do whole body workouts or you do just upper lower, you got more to do in the gym before you leave. You know, I mean, it's a little condensed. You're not doing full on, you know, every movement in the gym kind of thing. But you really got to keep your your shit together if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna go do some heavy overhead presses and you've already just done back work or you've and you got chest work next or you know you get the idea. So it, it keeps the focus, I guess, and the intensity. You got to keep it up uh, in order to do that. So. You know, it, it's a it's a way for again to keep the frequency at about a twice a week kind of thing, and I will undulate. You know, sometimes it's more dynamic and explosive with lighter loads. Uh, maybe one or two workouts later, it's lower. You know, reps with heavier weights. Um, but it's a, a lot of it's about efficiency. You know, MC, when you talked about oh, you yeah. just don't have unlimited mm -hmm. time, that's for that's sure. what I've got. <laughs> so, yeah, and I mean, forty five minutes to an hour is about the max I can get. So it's got to be, and that's part of why I really like 531 that I'm running now because I feel like I get a good workout in that time. Like I, I don't feel like I missed half my workout, so yeah. that's good. Yeah, and I think the other part too you mentioned when your schedule gets that crazy, and I've done that a lot in the past too, is that you physically don't have as much time to go to the gym, but you also have all these other things that are pulling on your recovery ability too. You know, whether it's stress or lack of sleep or being, you know, seated more often, less low-level movement, you know, all those things actually are kind of stealing, so to speak, from your recovery ability yeah. too. So Yeah, good point. Stra yeah, work stress or caffeine. Yep. Like all – some people are like, well, I'll just save caffeine just for pre-workout because we've talked about that on the show before. Yeah. But there are some mornings, well, guess what, fellas? That's the only yeah. way I'm getting up, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, me too. I'm not giving up my morning coffee yeah. at five o'clock. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. one other quick thing I've noticed too, I started a couple of years ago actually, is that by programming some type of upper back work almost every day in some clients, or even in myself, I started doing this again. And not a lot, you know, just one exercise, maybe two. And the first couple of weeks, it seems to be kind of hideous. But after that, it seems to work pretty good. And anecdotally, in most people, it seems like they can tolerate some sort of upper back work at pretty high frequency. I don't yeah. know if that's because it's such a big muscle group and you're actually targeting, you know, slightly different movements or all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I've just noticed that and it seems to work pretty good. Right on. Yeah, I try to hit some sort of pulling always, like upper back always for my athletes because you get athletes that come in and – yeah. All they've done is bench press and push-ups for all of high school. And, you know, the rounded shoulders, poor posture, you got to try and correct that. So even if I'm doing upper-lower splits with some of them or whatever we're doing, oh, I always try to throw in some pulling just because they, they need it. So, And like you said, it's not, not that fatiguing, and they, can, yeah. they seem to handle it pretty well. So mm, Cool. Yeah. All right, everybody. So that's a lot of stuff. We had a lot of news, a lot of mail. 
little bit of gem talk. Uh, in coming weeks, we've got some industry insiders coming up for guests, uh, a scientist, uh, a local competitor who's in the middle of a diet. He's getting very lean, so I thought that'd be fun to talk to him. He's also working on his master's uh, in nutrition, so we're going to talk about some of the differences between, you know, obviously the way bodybuilders set up diets and the way dietitians set up diets are not the same, <laughs> not the same. So we'll have some cool stuff coming up too. So thanks everybody for being on. Yeah, yeah. thanks guys. Thanks. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.